0: Welcome on, Eagles fans, to the No Huddle Show. We are getting closer by the moment to Sunday's NFC Championship game between the Eagles and the Minnesota Vikings at Lincoln Financial Field for the right to play in Super Bowl 52 and, of all places, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I, of course, am Matt Lombardo, and joining us here today on the No Huddle Show is Arif Hassan. He covers the Minnesota Vikings for Zone Coverage Minnesota at zonecoverage.com. You can follow Arif on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Arif, thanks for taking a couple minutes to be with us here.
1: Today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Now, of course, Sunday's game between the Vikings and the Saints, um, certainly unorthodox, certainly exciting to the very end. And that miracle finish was really the talk of the entire NFL for the, the, you know, the last couple of days here. Um, just take me through what it was like at U.S. Bank Stadium and the reaction in the locker room from the Vikings when not only they realized that they were going to the NFC title game, but it was a miracle play from Case Keenum to Stefan Diggs that, that got them there.
1: I mean, uh, the, the disbelief that everyone in you know watching the game had about the play—it's it's kind of reflected to what happened in the locker room and in the stadium. I don't think anyone believed uh, that that play had actually happened after it had happened. Uh, You—you you, can—they—the you, they, Vikings have actually pretty cataloged this pretty well. There's a bunch of videos out there on Twitter now uh from the Vikings account and a couple of others about you know how the, the players are just going like what happened? And the Case Keenum is you know he's you know, got his head in his hands, thinking like what just happened? I have no idea what happened. And the emotions were so strong that they kind of overwhelm actually the memory of 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 a lot of uh, the process of the play. Ah, uh, you know, Diggs didn't believe uh, as the play was happening that he had had that much space in front of him. The locker room, of course, he was pretty jubilant and and and. Ah, uh, in disbelief. You know the phrase "loud silence." It it, it kind of feels yeah. like that, where uh, where, you know, everyone was kind of speechless, but there was just so much noise at the same time. Um, yeah, it's ecstatic. I mean, it's it's something that you know we haven't seen before. And I think, uh, what I think Anthony Barr said it that you know, these kind of things just don't happen to the Vikings. That's what a lot of the fans feel like too. Sure, that all these storybook ha- endings happened in favor of another team against the Vikings a lot, but uh, it doesn't really happen a lot for the Vikings.
0: Now, Arif, obviously there's been a lot of talk here in Philadelphia about the Eagles being underdogs. And there was a lot of anger within that locker room going into the Falcons game last week that the Eagles would have been underdogs at home. And you saw afterwards, it was Chris Long and Lane Johnson kind of parading around <laughs> in those underdog masks. And Lane Johnson actually did the, his interviews at his locker wearing the dog mask that him and Long had bought. Um, is there any worry at all in Minnesota, whether it be players that you talk to or you know fans on the outside that might be nervous that in terms of that emotion, just, you know, that there could be a hangover from that miracle finish, that maybe all of the emotion that went into that play and the celebration afterwards, that there could be a, a risk of a hangover heading into the NFC title game. I think
1: if this was last year's uh, Vikings team, I, I think that there's a, a pretty good risk of it. Um, but I think they've learned a lot of their lessons from that, you know, hot five and 0 start to the loss initiated by the Eagles uh, it last year uh, that they've kind of learned how to, how to focus and take it, you know, one week at a time and all that cliche. I think, you know, there's a difference between, you know, saying, you know, we're on to Cincinnati, we're on to Philadelphia or whatever. And, and having a locker room kind of fully committed on task, uh, with focus towards that goal. And I think that, you know, with a coach like Mike Zimmer, uh, and, and the offensive staff he has around him, the defensive staff he has around him, uh, with Pat Shermer, George Edwards, I I think they can do a pretty good job of keeping these players focused. They're, you know, a little bit more of a mature team. uh, And uh, and they've got I think just they've got a good kind of support group around them that allows them to to kind of remain on task. So I think there's a risk of a hangover, but I think it's a lot smaller than it would have been um, had the same thing happened uh, in sort of a, a prior season.
0: Now, obviously, these are two really different teams than the Eagles and Vikings that met last year. And you talked about the 5-0 and start that the Eagles ended here at the link. And that was obviously Sam Bradford was the quarterback over Case Keenum. It was a completely different running back, you know, backfield. But outside of maybe those two elements of the team that we'll get into throughout the podcast here, what's the biggest difference between that team that showed up at Lincoln Financial Field and the one that's going to get off the buses on Sunday?
1: Uh, I think part of it is that everything has kind of come together. The first is, you know, that that Pat Shermer has had the ability to kind of coordinate and set up an off-season game plan for the offense. Uh, the Eagles game, if I remember correctly, Pat Shermer uh, had kind of just been thrust into the role right before that game yep. uh, as as the offensive coordinator, and uh, and now you know he's had the ability to kind of install his offense, uh, take control of week-to-week game planning and stuff like that. And uh, you know, kind of the biggest change on offense anyway is uh, is that offensive line. Um, Four or five different players, all five positions, uh, staffed with new player with Joe Berger moving from center to left guard or to right guard. Uh, And and the offensive line is much, much better. They do a pretty good job uh, of preventing pressure from getting to the quarterback. Really important uh, against the Eagles uh, this week. And that's allowed them to open up the playbook and do a lot of different things and actually game plan against what they see. So. Uh, against the Saints, you play a lot of press man coverage. We saw a lot of, you know, rub routes and mesh routes to take advantage of that, a lot of picks. Uh, And against the Eagles, I would imagine, with a lot of off-man coverage, you'd see maybe a lot more slants and stuff like that. They're a very kind of flexible offense. They didn't really have that last year. And defensively, um, it's just another year. They're an extraordinarily healthy team on defense. They may not have Andrew Sandeo, but he was a a limited participant instead of a non-participant in practice today. So we may even see him too. Uh, And that means they've got their full defensive, you know, unit, which I don't think... Any team can really say that, other than the Vikings. So that's that's going to help out a lot too.
0: When you look at this matchup, I, correct me if I'm wrong. But when I look at this thing, I look at two real mirror images of themselves, two offenses that are at their best when they can run the ball effectively, two backup quarterbacks, the wide receivers. You have Stefan Diggs over there in Minnesota, Alshon Jeffrey, who has, you know, played better against the Vikings than any other team in the NFL. But it's the defense for the Vikings that I think gives them a fighter's chance of winning this game in Philadelphia. Um, they're the number one defense in the NFL. Obviously, you touch on some of the personnel, but you have an all-pro, corner and Xavier Rhodes. you have a pro Bowler and Anthony Barr. Eric Kendricks is as good as a comet at middle linebacker. How are they exploitable? How can this Eagles team beat the Vikings? What's the key offensively for the Eagles going into this matchup just based on you know you watching that Vikings defense throughout the course of the year?
1: Yeah, from the perspective of you know finding a weakness and attacking it, which is kind of how a lot of offenses design themselves, there are potentially two weak points. The first, uh, I just kind of briefly mentioned Anderson Day, who's playing the best football of his career. He just happens to be surrounded by 10 other guys that are just better. And so by kind of default, um, you know, he's the quote-unquote weak link, even though he's playing as an above-average safety this year. Um, If you can find ways to isolate him, maybe force the Vikings into cover four, something like that, uh, and and run up the seam against him, maybe you could exploit something. But I think the biggest matchup for the Eagles in this game is Nelson Aguilar, who has been playing kind of out of his mind this year, and Mackenzie Alexander uh, in the slot, or, you know, Terrence Newman. They kind of rotate the two of them based on whether or not they think it's going to be a running down. Sure. Um, it's uh it, it's it's going to be tough, I think, for Mac or Newman to keep up with Nelson Aguilar, um, and and that's I think where uh, a big part of the matchup is going to be.
0: When I look at this game and I look back at the Eagles game against the Falcons on Saturday, it was Jay Ajayi 54 really gritty yards. It was a rushing touchdown by LeGarrette Blount. The Eagles, w- this offense functions best when they can run the ball and they get their all of their backs going, whether it's Ajayi, whether it's LeGarrette Blunt, whether it's the rookie Corey Clement, but. Everybody who talks about the Eagles being the number one rushing defense, and that's true, it's only about four or five yards that separates the Eagles rushing defense from the Vikings rushing defense. What has made them so effective at stopping the run this year?
1: Yeah, this is one of the big differences from the Vikings defense this year and the Vikings defense from the past couple of years with Mike Zimmer is that they've been a much better run defense. I think a lot of it has to do with the growth of Linval Joseph, who I think is the best 4-3 nose tackle in the league. Um, you know, pretty good argument for like Damon Harrison and stuff like that, but he's up there. Uh, and And that has helped them, you know, kind of keep Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr kind of clear uh, in terms of in terms of guards and centers getting up to the second level. Uh, but also Anthony Barr, um who's playing a lot healthier this year, is really playing at a high level. Eric Hendricks is playing at a high level. And it's I think the first time you've got both of them playing at such a high level. Uh, against the run that has kind of allowed them to do things like clean up. Everson Griffin's uh, always been good against the run. Daniil Hunter replaced Brian Robinson. He's really good against the run, too. But the difference, I think, has to do with how much better Joseph is playing and how both Kendricks and Barr are finally playing really well at the same time, and then Tom Johnson, um, like thirty three, he's really old, uh, sure. for a defensive tackle. He's he's actually gotten much better defending the run every year he's been with the Vikings too, uh, which is kind of astounding. So uh, a lot of individual improvements, um, but a lot of it I think stems off of, uh, who I think may maybe not the most talented, maybe number two or three on that defense, but the most important player on the defense, Linval Joseph.
0: Yeah, there's Joseph there, and then you talk about Everson Griffin, who is going to have a pretty favorable matchup, in my opinion, against left tackle Halepo Loviti Vitae. And I I talked to a lot of Eagles offensive linemen, and Doug Peterson talked about this today during his press conference. The exotic nature of Mike Zimmer's blitz packages, whether it's the double-A gap, whether it's bringing pressure off the edge, it it seems like that's kind of his hallmark and his calling card and has been throughout the course of his career. When you, when you think about just the nature of those double-A gap you know, blitzes, the impact that that has on opposing quarterbacks I think is unbelievable. You talk about Tom Brady getting flustered when he has pressure up the middle. Eli Manning has talked about it all the time. Um, is that something that they talk about or that they make such a conscious effort to try to do week in and week out by bringing pressure not just off the edge but up the middle on opposing QBs?
1: yeah, it's definitely an emphasis of theirs. And the thing is they don't actually blitz all that much more often than most teams. In fact, for most of the year, they had actually they were in like the bottom third in terms of the number of blitzes they brought. But they're a very threatening uh, defense in terms of blitzes. they've They've, you know blitzed uh, you know, nickel cornerbacks off the edge. You've mentioned Anthony Eric Kendricks blitzing up the middle, uh, not just up the a, uh, not just up the a gap anymore. they've, Kind of expand it to attack, you know, guards on either gap with their linebackers and and even tackles in either gap. It's kind of just in the same family of blitzes. Uh, and then Harrison Smith is is probably one of the one of the best blitzing safeties uh, in the NFL. In addition to sort of all of the other talents that he has, and it really gives them a lot of flexibility to show a blitz. Uh, and often they'll drop back into coverage uh, and and only and only rush four. Um, but because they showed a blitz, you have a bunch of one on one matchups and an offensive lineman who's blocking nobody. Uh, and that's really helped them a lot, even when they do blitz, of course. They, they are very talented uh, up front. And, and the thing that kind of makes it work really well is the sheer athleticism of both Kendricks and Anthony Barr. Um, because when you show blitzes like that, teams like to throw short. They like to throw a lot of screens. Uh, and it puts a lot of stress on those A-gap linebackers to get to the sideline as quickly as possible to shut down that screen. It takes a lot of athleticism from those players. And they both have that requisite athleticism so that Uh, If one of them does drop back or one of them does have to to, uh, go after a screen on a blitz, uh, they have the ability to do that. So it's not just their ability to actually generate pressure off the blitzes. It's that they can work off of the most common responses to what those blitzes generate.
0: Sure. Let's switch gears here and talk about the two offenses in this game a little bit. And I don't know about you, but if anybody told me back in July or August that we'd be sitting (laughs) here on the precipice of AFC and NFC championship game weekend, and it would be Tom Brady and Blake Bortles against Nick Foles and Case Keenum, I would have told them they were out of their minds. I would have told them they were absolutely crazy. And that's what, one of the similarities between these two teams, two backup quarterbacks. You had Keenum who opened the year against, you know, the, he being the backup to Sam Bradford. You had Nick Foles, of course, backing up Carson Wentz. Um, just how has Keenum been able to rally his teammates around him all year? And his first start against the Steelers, I think, is really the, the one defense where you can say they compare to the Eagles pretty similarly in terms of yards allowed, what they do personnel-wise. And the Steelers were able to take care of business twenty six to nine. And I know that that was a long time ago, but how have you seen Keenum kind of evolve through the year from that first start back in week two to where he is right now?
1: Well, I think Keenum has been, there's been, there's been a couple of sort of evolutions. Um, Part of it is that, you know, his ability to kind of, Actually, take over the locker room and 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 be more than just a placeholder. Um, you know, has allowed him to actually like demonstrate the leadership capabilities that he's kind of always had. When he was at the University of Houston, uh, and and that he demonstrated uh, even on a losing uh, team with the Rams. Uh, he's been very well liked wherever he's been. Uh, and has the ability to confidently lead. But, you know, it's obviously a lot more than that. There's a lot of really good leaders that don't pan out. Uh, Keenum has grown a lot as a quarterback, both in terms of his ability to kind of lead receivers. He's got a really stellar receiving core kind of helping him out with uh, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Um, but he can he's kind of done a better job of enabling them by putting the ball kind of in better and better spots as the years progressed. But more than that, he has kindly fig- figured out what level of aggression uh he can kind of get away with it or what he should do based on the defense that he's seeing. He's typically a very, very aggressive quarterback, but he doesn't really have, you know, an arm to kind of match that. And so when we saw what he was doing with the Houston Texans, you know, it wasn't really helping him out and he kept on trying to dig himself out of holes with more and more aggressive passes. Now we're seeing a lot of um, aggression when it's warranted, letting, you know, Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen kind of chase down the ball. They're both excellent deep ball trackers, but sometimes when a team sells out against a deep pass, say, you know, like the Atlanta Falcons are very often, you know, what the Eagles do, um, he's willing to throw it short and, and have his receivers break tackles for him instead of sure. having to try and test people deep. Um, so it's that kind of maturity as a quarterback that's really helped him a lot.
0: Now, what's the perception like of Nick Foles and Case Keenum out there in Minnesota? Because when I look at Case Keenum, and I talked to a lot of players in the locker room about this today, Fletcher Cox compared him to a poor man's Russell Wilson. Chris Long says that he thinks he's a gunslinger, and he's basically a mini Brett Favre. Um, You look at Keenum's numbers throughout the course of the year, he has the seventh-best passer rating in the NFL through 23 touchdowns, and he really took command of that locker room for Minnesota and kind of you know, planted his flag as the starting quarterback after the injuries last year to Teddy Bridgewater. And Sam Bradford. But here in Philadelphia, you talk to people outside that locker room and fans and certain media uh, types. And they look at this as, oh, you know, case bleep and Keenum and, and case the backup, and not really taking note of what he's been able to do this year. And he's kind of flown under the radar. And I'd imagine that when you talk to Vikings fans or you talk to Vikings players, I'd assume that perception is pretty similar to the outside view of. Of Case Keenum, of Nick Foles, how are people kind of looking at Nick Foles going into this game, going into an NFC title game?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean the the team takes their opponents pretty seriously. I mean they've been uh, in the past beaten by quarterbacks that that people don't hold in well uh, in high regard, and so they kind of take every every matchup seriously um, at this point. So, you know, asking asking players about Nick Foles. Uh, you're going to get a lot of very serious responses and, and an actual analysis of the kind of things that, you know, he does well and, and, and what they have to watch out for. But I think that you're right in terms of the way that fans are are viewing uh, Foles here around Minnesota. Um, You know, they don't really see him as much of a threat. I mean, everyone is kind of aware um, that he had that stellar season in 2013, um, but they're willing to write it off as a fluke. And, you know, that, that Atlanta game didn't inspire a ton of confidence either um, for people that were watching it. And so, you know, they see a quarterback that, you know, doesn't have the arm to get things um and and you know the the biggest difference I think between uh Foles and Keenum is that you know Keenum is, is much more willing to or has much more mobility and much more willing to kind of break things outside of the pocket. You know, Foles doesn't really have you know as much athleticism. And so uh you know they they see a guy that might struggle under pressure and something like that and and not a particularly accurate quarterback, so they don't really see Foles as as the threat that he may end up uh, being, especially with the supporting cast he has around him and that running game to kind of back him up. Uh, and so I think that, you know, your perception of the way that the Minnesota fans are taking look at Nick Foles is pretty accurate.
0: Yeah, I'd expect that because, I mean, he's a guy who came in, he had four touchdowns against the JV defense, struggled mightily moving the football against the Raiders, really didn't inspire much confidence against the Cowboys. And I thought Foles played really well in the second half against the Falcons, but you're going to need a 60-minute effort out of either one of these quarterbacks if if they're going to win this football game.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, especially because these defenses are going to keep things really close. I think the over-under is like 38 points. It's really low. Uh, and so any points uh, are going to be really critical. And in order for, for you to get any of those points, you're going to have to be able to play a complete game. So having a 60-minute matchup where, where Keenum and Foles kind of duke it out doesn't sound that enticing when you say, say it at the beginning of the year, but at the end of the year, it's probably going to produce some really exciting football. And it's the quarterback that has the ability to kind of consistently push uh, for, for an entire game uh, that's probably going to you know, bring things out.
0: No, I totally agree. And that's why I think that if this were played in a vacuum and you're just looking at these two quarterbacks, the experience and the wealth of experience that Keenum has had throughout the course of the year I think that that outweighs Foles' production in the limited opportunities that he's been out there since Carson Wentz got hurt back in December. But how much do you take into account that this is going to be the third playoff game for Nick Foles? And I believe it's only the second playoff start for Case Keenum. Does, does playoff experience and discrepancy between the two really play a role in this thing, in your opinion?
1: I, a little bit. Um, I mean, there have been like some statistical studies that, that indicate that once you control – for kind of all of these other elements, you know, how how good we know a quarterback to be and stuff like that. The playoff experience, you know, does kind of matter. It does have a substantial uh, impact on the outcome of games. Um, but the difference here, you know, is, is pretty marginal in terms of playoff experience. And, you know, I, I think that, I mean, they're both, you know, veteran quarterbacks that 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 don't really get slapped at the veteran label all that much. Uh, they've been through a lot of games. They've seen a lot of games. and And they both have some marginal playoff experience. Um, But I think that a lot of other factors are going to be a lot more important. How teams do well on the road or at home um, is probably going to be a bigger factor. I mean, the field uh, was pretty slippery, uh, you know, against Atlanta. And so, you know, the Vikings, if if it's going to be like that again, if the Vikings can kind of figure out, you know, what they need to do in order to counter that, that I think is going to be more important than, uh, than something like playoff experience.
0: Now, what's the mood like around town? Because you guys are in a really unique situation here and that the Vikings are on the doorstep of hosting a Super Bowl for the first time. It's never happened, whether it's Tampa Bay just missing out and on the timing in terms of hosting a Super Bowl when they were making runs with John Gruden, whether it's any time that the Super Bowl has been played in San Diego, whether it's been, you know, in San Francisco, it, it just hasn't worked out where a host city has a chance to have a home Super Bowl. So What's the vibe? Are people kind of looking past the Eagles and ahead to that Super Bowl party for two weeks, or is this a really focused team and focused fan base going into Sunday?
1: Um, I think I think if you were to accuse the fan base of being unfocused, it would be focusing too much on what had just happened and not and not uh, taking a look at the game ahead, instead of focusing too much on the Super Bowl and not looking at the game ahead. I think that's really the only you know kind of place where the fan base might might not might not let down. But I, I don't think anyone is. Is especially you know with the Vikings' history, is counting their eggs before they hatch. I don't think they see the Super Bowl uh, as as something that they have like a right to or something that they they see happening. Um, I think they see Philadelphia as a very serious opponent, and and the ones that are thinking about the Super Bowl are definitely thinking about Philadelphia first, uh, just because you know, Vikings fans have been you know taunted too many times. Uh, sure, with, just like Eagle, Eagle fans. Uh, yeah, exactly. They're yeah,
0: probably the winningest franchises that don't have a Vince Lombardi Trophy hanging out in their trophy case.
1: Yeah, I think they may be one and two, actually, in that regard. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're they're both pretty familiar with what can happen if you look too far ahead.
0: Arif, right, this has been terrific analysis. Appreciate all the time. Before I let you go, have to get your thoughts on how this game plays out in the prediction for Sunday.
1: Um, you know, like I said, I, I do think it's going to be a really close game uh, as a result of how talented those two defenses are. I do think that the difference in quality between, you know, what I think of Keenum and what I think of Foles is going to help the Vikings win out. Um, just because, you know, I think Foles is just a little bit more likely to, to throw some errant passes that results in some problems. Uh, and, and that's going to overcome um, what I think is a fairly substantial home field advantage for the Eagles. Still, it's, it's going to be an exciting game. It's probably going to come down to the wire.
0: Quick game of complete this sentence before we let you get out of here. The Vikings win this game if?
1: They continuously get pressure with the front four.
0: The Eagles win the game and go to the Super Bowl for the third time in franchise history, if?
1: Uh, they correctly isolate Nelson Aguilar against uh, Mackenzie Alexander.
0: Terrific stuff. Arif Arif Hassan, you can follow him on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Read him at Zone Coverage Minnesota and check him out there at, at Zone Coverage MN. Arif, this has been terrific. Appreciate you taking the time and really look forward to seeing you at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday afternoon.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again to Arif Hassan. And if you want to check him out on Twitter, of course, give him a follow at Arif Hassan NFL. And I thought it was really interesting that once again, he pointed to Nelson Aguilar as really the X factor for the Eagles and kind of a matchup nightmare for this Viking defense. And we've written a lot about the Viking defense throughout the course of the week. There's been a lot of chatter around Philadelphia about the number one rated Viking defense, how good they are against the run, how tough it is to move the football against them. And I agree with all of those things. And that's why all week I've kind of cautioned people in getting too Mystic about this game on Sunday and why I think it's going to be a low-scoring knockdown drag him out affair. But I thought it was kind of telling that he pointed to Nelson Aguilar because we talked all week last week, leading up to the Atlanta game, just how important it was to get him the ball in space to utilize his speed. Because Aguilar is probably one of the fastest players on that offense, and we saw it firsthand on that end around for a big gain against the Falcons. If the Eagles can do that again on Sunday, all it's going to take is one or two big plays to potentially turn the tide of this game in the Eagles' favor, and we'll see what happens in the quarterback duel. I think that Keenum is probably a more efficient and better quarterback than Nick Foles, but Foles, as we saw, was more than capable of eking out an ugly win when points were at a premium, so we'll see how that all plays out on Sunday. And as far as the podcast goes, Elliott Shore Parks will rejoin me once again on Friday for our Fan Friday, our Complete Breakdown Friday podcast, and then we'll have the the instant analysis wrap-up from Lincoln Financial Fields. So thanks again for listening. Thank you for subscribing, as always, on iTunes, on Spreaker, on SoundCloud, on iHeartRadio, following us on YouTube and subscribing there and leaving your comments there. It's always fun to see what people think of each episode. And if you haven't done it already, we'd love to hear your five-star reviews, your feedback on the podcast. Give Elliot a follow on Twitter, at Elliot Short Parks, and I'm at MattLombardoPHL. So until Friday, thanks again for listening to The No Huddle Show. I'm Matt Lombardo. We'll Talk to you Friday and uh, get you ready for the game against the Vikings.